Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another podcast. We're here to have some fun. Oh, I just dragged that a little bit. No, that was a good drag though. That was like a you know, you know like FIFA, a you know FIFA got the little pullback? We need a little pullback there. Right. What's up everybody? If you're watching on YouTube or listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, we welcome you in to the All Day Every Day show with All Day AJ and Manny Ruffin. And if you are watching on YouTube, drop a like down below, a comment, and do not forget to hit that subscribe button so you do not miss out on any new videos. In today's episode, we have another guest on the show today in the gambling space, but still also a very pristine professional with that alliteration today. Uh, he does a lot of work in writing, sports writing. We're going to hear some fun things on how he has been able to make it in his career in uh, in working in sports. So without further ado, I forgot to say it uh, earlier, but please, please, please give us the ratings on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Facts. These are the things that are going to keep us going in the audio side of this world. We are having some fun on YouTube, but we want to get further in the audio side as well. So without further ado, guys, we're going to welcome in Matt Shook to tell us about his stories while working in sports and gambling. There he is. What's happening, guys? What's going on, brother? How you doing? Good. Good. Thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. So you are, uh, are you originally from Detroit? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so you were like a full Detroit fan, like Lions fans, all that? Oh, yeah. Oh, because oh, yeah. I'm a Birds fan, and you guys gave us a little bit of a scare over the weekend. I don't know what was good with that. The Lions look good this year, though. What do you think about them? Uh, it's kind of the same as last year, like good enough to hang around and, you know, not going to give up, but. I'm I'm a little concerned about the overall talent level, but I guess it's more like a year or two away from being, you know. But yeah, it was it was entertaining. At least they came back and made it interesting. No, yeah, I felt like they look a little different this year for sure. But like you like the Pistons too, because I feel like the Pistons are on the up and up as well. Yeah, for sure. That's the team that we're mostly excited about here. Um, speaking of teams that you know, a year or two away, but but yeah, uh, interesting. Interesting team. I live right downtown here, so I'm across from Ford Field and Little Caesars Arena. So. Oh, I was just there last year, and that little strip is sick. I was at the uh, yeah. the Barstool Sportsbook there, and then like I went to Ford Field, watched the game. Like that whole, yep. I like how like when the stadium's downtown, it kind of gives it a whole different feel. And it was it was yeah, pretty all cool. four teams, all three stadiums, right downtown. It's pretty it's pretty nice. Yeah, it's a good place to be these days. But yeah, you mentioned Barstool. We've got three casinos right within like a mile of each other, all mm -hmm. with sportsbooks there. It's it's a it's a good place to be. Yeah, it's dope. Um, so we just want to kind of hop right into it here with, you know, your career in sports. So what have been your biggest ups and downs while working in sports? We obviously talk about on this show, how grueling it is to work into sports, you know, how the money's always limited, the opportunities are limited. Talk to us about those biggest ups and biggest downs while working in sports. Yeah. So, um, I started in newspapers. I was in uh, newspapers for like 12, 15 years and, uh, you know, moved away from Michigan, uh, which was good for, you know, my life. And I wanted to, to leave the state at some point. So I, you know, I moved to Missouri for a little while, the Ozarks down in Southwest Missouri, Springfield, moved down to the Virgin Islands for a while, moved to Chicago as well, just kind of following these newspaper journalism jobs. And, uh, and it was, you know, which was a positive and a negative in a lot of ways. You give up those nights and weekends, you grind at that, first and second job out of college where maybe you're not making a lot of money. Uh, you know, the, the, my Augusts were all consumed with high school football and getting ready for those, those Friday nights and all that. And, um, but you know, there again, ups and downs, uh, a lot of ups. Like I covered the Olympics in 2016 in Brazil. I went to Rio for a month for the Virgin Islands daily news. And 
one of the bigger ups has been my current job, you know, two over two years, almost two and a half years with Katina media as the, as a content manager now, but former uh, lead sports writer, lead uh, writer for playmichigan.com. And now I'm kind of managing our content for playohio.com, playca.com, uh, really seven states in all in, in the play network of Katina media covering a really exciting industry in online gambling and online sports betting. So you started, did you start in this industry like kind of in like the print days, like with the newspaper, correct? So like, what, yeah, yes. what are kind so of like the biggest differences like between the print, uh, like journalism back in the day and then now with like social media and all that taking over, like you obviously probably prefer the social media ways it does now, but I, I'm not going to assume it for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's it makes again, it so much easier. again, yeah. Ups and downs, right? Yeah. Some of the reporting's a little bit easier with, with social media, but there's also all sorts of competition out there, right? Like you guys, I mean, you know, there, there's, um, smaller media entities that are becoming medium-sized entities. And of course the legacy media brands are becoming less and less, uh, provide, uh, you know, essential to our life, I guess, because there are so many other media options out there. So it's good and bad. And I mean, even though the, the paper, the newspaper, the print paper came out, you know, comes out every single morning, you would think that that might dictate a more, uh, regimented lifestyle where it's like, okay, these are the hours I'm going to work, but it's actually kind of the opposite. Um, as you know, I produce content for the web that people are reading um, during the day mostly, right? Because people are consuming most of their internet news uh, nine to five. Now for the sports world, that's a little bit different than the news world per se, but still um, what's nice about my role and my current job writing for the web is it's really kind of a, a nine to five lifestyle Monday through Friday. Uh, we do do some stuff on the weekends. And of course there are some coverages and the big football weekend this past weekend being an exception to that rule. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's conducive to a little bit more of a uh, easier, more normal lifestyle than I was accustomed to, you know, in the Virgin islands work until one 30 in the morning, putting the paper out. So it's ready for the next day in the morning. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, you're, you were just mentioning your role over at Katina media and you know, managing and as a content manager. So can you kind of break down like what that role actually entitles and what you're doing on that day to day basis? Yeah, so we I, I'm in charge of covering seven states uh, uh, about the what's going on for online gambling. And, and it just so happens that the the wave of online gambling regulated right now is, is sports betting. So um, uh, in my group are the states that have not yet launched. So we're preparing our sites to be ready for when launch happens. The main one being Ohio, because it's January 1st that sports betting is going to launch in Ohio, California. There are uh, two ballot initiatives on this November, November 8th on Election Day, where Californians are going to uh, vote on whether they should allow retail sports betting at tribal casinos and a separate initiative uh, for online sports betting through, you know, FanDuel, DraftKings, BetMGM, all those names that we hear about so much uh, on commercials and just ubiquitous through through American life right now. So um, my job is to manage a team of editors and writers. And I was one of those writers and was one of those editors before I kind of moved up the, the, the chain in, in my company. And we just make content for right now, like I said, pre-launch, it's not a uh, content for consumers, but it's more content for the industry, 
uh, and insider gamblers, like pe- folks who really are, are, are uh, really want to know the news and really want to be on top of when launches are going to happen. And also for the media. So we connect with folks like you and let you know what we do and what our sites are and, uh, and what kind of things that, that consumers uh, ultimately need to know about our sites as when, when launch comes closer and when launch happens. How long would you say it will take for everyone in the States to be able to gamble online? That's, that's a great question. And I wish I had a, a, a great answer for you. <laughs> We're at about 30 plus states right now with, that have some form of, uh, of sports betting there. But as far as like online sports betting, I always say that it's going to be not everywhere, but most places we always, it's, and I, I don't know if joke is the right word, but kind of a company industry joke is that like, hey, it's probably never going to go to Utah, right? I mean, it's just like a very socially conservative state. Sorry, so Utah. maybe, maybe that might, yeah, sorry, Utah, that might be the, the one state that, that holds off, or maybe there are others as time goes on, but you know, red state, blue state, there are more red states coming along. The most recent launch was Kansas, which is known as a more of a red state. So, um, It'll be, I would say something like for uh, online sports betting in, in most every state, 48 states or whatever, 49 states, something like within the next six, seven years, something like that. Oh, wow. And it's, uh, you know, we're talking Florida within the next two or three years, Texas within the next two or three years. And if this California thing passes in November, those huge states, California, Texas, Florida could be tipping points for pretty much everyone to, to get on board. I, I, I just love how passionate you are about the gambling side of, of, you know, covering sports. And at least from the research that we've done on you, I mean, we didn't always see this th- the things on you as covering just dynamically all around sports gambling. So what, what kind of brought you to covering sports gambling versus, you know, covering De- Detroit sports, covering Chicago sports? What, what kind of brought you over to gambling? Yeah. So, I mean, you guys know, like I, I, for the Associated Press, I covered the Cubs, covered the White Sox, did a lot of, you know, just Chicago based professional sports coverage, covered some playoffs with the Chicago Bulls as well. Came back to Detroit, my hometown and worked for the Detroit News. And I was covering the Lions, you know, three times a week, going to all the home games, kind of a backup beat writer for the Detroit News. Did a lot of Tigers, did Michigan, Michigan State, everything, you know, all the all the major sports uh, hosted a podcast about the Pistons. And what I kind of found it was a little bit of a saturated media environment, right? Like we're in, I, I got, you know, you work with the PR department and, and some of the agents and players and get your occasional um, uh, exclusive interview. But for the most part, we're talking about scrums of a dozen or more reporters huddled around a player in a locker room, getting the weekly Matthew Stafford, uh, you know, rundown of, of non-answers that he's giving. And that's not a criticism of him. That's just what the media environment is these we days, just, right? Just, yeah, so it's just kind of like it's it's kind of the stuff that everyone's getting. Uh, not really, not all that interesting. You try to make your own reports as interesting as possible. But to me, uh, I knew uh, a year plus from when Michigan launched sports betting in January 2021 that uh, this is what's coming. This is about to be a really big deal. Not only for my career is it nice to be on a uh, a trajectory upwards in, in, as far as industry wise, but. And I would suggest that to younger folks and even other folks listening that, hey, if you're looking for something that's that's moving up, you know, kind of find your niche in, in the gambling industry, whatever that is. Um, but uh, so I but I became in, in really short order, the authority on Michigan sports betting and Michigan online casinos and Michigan online poker and media friends of mine and media people that I didn't know at the time, everyone would kind of come to me 
uh, and rightfully so, because I was the one who was studying this all day, every day. I was I was following all the legislative processes in Lansing, the state capitol here, and just became the person who knew all about. Now, now, am I the one who can tell who could tell you who to bet on on Sundays? Maybe not so much, but I I can tell you what operators there are, what deals are out there, um, what poker platform might launch next, what online casinos have different features the kind of consumer type of focused things that folks look for now I'm and now I'm kind of managing these other states and trying to get all those people on the ground that that work for me to become those sources in those states when those states launch as well and it's been uh, a fun thing because it as opposed to being one of 50 people covering the Detroit Lions now I'm kind of the source about what's going on in Michigan gambling so we read in your guest deal profile that you were you used to be a blackjack dealer correct Mm-hmm. All right, so I just have one, like a couple questions about blackjack. But one thing I really want to know is, is there like, can you explain blackjack etiquette to me? Because yeah. there was a time and place where I was approaching a blackjack table. We wanted to sit, yeah. sit down and play, and people were just pissed off, like pissed the fuck off. And we were like, "What's going on? We're just trying to come play. We're getting yeah. our money out. We're trying to come play." And he's like, so, "Like, don't put your money down. Don't do this. Don't do that. Like, what is good with all that?" So okay, so I'm guessing they were. I'm. This is just me guessing. I'm guessing they might have been mad because you 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 walked up to the table during the shoot. Correct. Right? Yeah. Correct. So yeah. they wanted you to wait until the next shoe started. Now, I've, I've I started playing blackjack legally at 18 years old at a tribal casino in Mount Pleasant, Michigan. Soaring Eagle. Shout out to the uh, Saginaw Chippewa Indian tribe there. But um, so 18 and up, gotta love that. So uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I knew knew how to play and all that. But yeah, as far as etiquette, I mean, there's people have different interpretations of etiquette, just like the unwritten rules of baseball. But I think like longtime blackjack players, uh, folks who think that it's, you know, in my opinion, I don't I don't subscribe to this theory, but folks think that if you come in the middle of the shoe, you're going to mess up the the luck and that I was preordained to get all these cards throughout the whatever. And again, people have, are so superstitious about their their gambling, which makes, you know, I don't know if that makes sense. Maybe that's the wrong word, but they're prerogative. So and again, it's not you didn't do anything wrong. Uh, by the rules of the casino, but like the unwritten rules of blackjack, you're kind of, you, you can sit down in the seat, but don't really put your money down. Uh, they say, this is just kind of a matter of being polite that uh, don't put your money down until the next shoe starts. And then you can jump right in after that. Yeah. Cause it was definitely, uh, it was definitely confusing for us. We were like, we were just like, we want to play too. Like we want to win too. Like, and there's more too. Like there's all sorts of rules. Like, uh, and if, and if you play, you know, th- there are some, uh, combinations of hands that you have compared to what the dealer has that uh, there is a by the book of what you really should do for the best way to, to be strategic. Now, there's also some hands where um, there's a little bit of a gray area where, yeah, you could probably do this or do this. But then there's also the you if you want to play the right way and you want to inc- increase your chances of winning money, you definitely should not make certain moves. And a lot of new players or, or amateur players make some of those moves. That is another thing that might make the veteran guy who sits at the blackjack table often upset because yeah, yeah. in his mind, you took a card that you shouldn't have taken and that will impact his next hand. Now, my thought is that he might help you. He might take a card and actually help you instead, but you, you're just as in maybe as a, a looking at the, uh, the glass as half empty pessimist, you might just kind of resort to thinking that it's going to end up screwing you, even though exactly. sometimes it actually might help you. 
So have you have any like crazy experiences like being a blackjack dealer that people like got pissed the fuck off like thought you like got like counted wrong or like messed oh, up yeah. or something like that and like someone like all the crazy. time. <laughs> that's kind of the, that you have to have really thick skin in that in that job, especially as someone just starting out. Now blackjack, I was pretty pretty good at and I didn't mess up a lot, so people didn't get mad. But I also uh, dealt this other game uh, called Ultimate Texas Hold'em. It was a a Texas Hold'em game, but a variation of it where it was a um, you know, the, the famous poker game, but it was a variation of it where it's just the player playing against the dealer. So just kind of a table game based around Texas Hold'em. And, um, you know, I've played poker. I know poker pretty well, but I'm, I don't know it as well as a lot of people do that, you know, the hardcore players. So, um, and just the, 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 the game itself and just the mechanisms of, of that game were just a lot to think about, a lot of stress. So, and these were the people who, there were like four tables at the casino that I played at. And it was like the same people kind of coming to the tables all the time. So they knew the game much more than I did as even as the dealer, as a, as a newbie. So uh, yeah, I just, if you're getting onto the floor, it's just like anything else, right? Your first time you do a podcast episode, you're not going to be nearly as good as the hundredth time you do a podcast episode. So uh, as a dealer, there's no simulate. I mean, you could practice and practice and be in the training room all you want, but once you get on the floor, it's kind of a whole new ball game. But as far as crazy stories, yeah, I mean, there were some pro athletes that I dealt to. Um, there were some big pots that I that I that I dealt up. I remember people betting, you know, five thousand dollars a hand on one of my first days dealing blackjack. That was like, stressful even for me, and maybe it wasn't even for the player if they had enough money for it. Right. Hopefully, not to matter too much to their day to day. I dealt on New Year's Eve one time, made a whole lot of money there. That was a a bit of a wild night, but you know, I was only on the floor for like eight months or so. So as far as like the old timers that might've been there for 10 years that have all sorts of wild stories, uh, you know, I saw people that uh, just, just a lot of different nighttime type of stuff that you can imagine, but, but nothing that really stood out as like the, the ultimate blackjack story that I have to, to share. How did you get into like even being like even becoming a dealer? Like what, what's the process of going through, you know, to actually become, you know, a blackjack dealer or, or, or you know, Texas Hold'em dealer? Like, what's the process to even get into that? Yeah, so like I, like I said, I'd played kind of my, most of my adult life. And I was, I was living in Chicago, mostly freelancing, working for the Associated Press, working for the Chicago Tribune as well. But that, but again, that was freelancing. It was steady, but this wasn't quite, Chicago is an expensive city to live in, of course, as you guys know. So like, um, you know, I just wanted like a, part-time or maybe even actually ended up being a full-time job, but I didn't have to work 40 hours, blah, blah, blah. But uh, it, it's pretty good money. I mean, if any, if anyone's listening and looking for uh, maybe they're in, the, in the, gig, the gig economy or something like that, uh, check out your local casino and check out that those, those dealers. Um, I worked at a, it was the casino, it was called Rivers right outside of uh, O'Hare airport in, um, in suburban Chicago. And they paid really well. I mean, it was like, you, you know, you made like close to minimum wage on your wage, but the tip share, I mean, there would be days where it, depending on how much came in over the, the, the gaming day, which is a 20, 20 hour period. Um, you, you know, you share that within your hours and your tips, but there were days where you'd make like 60 bucks an hour. Uh, now that was, that was kind of the, the, the high end, the, the unusual day, but not too far from that was kind of the typical day of what you would make at the casino. And, and, you know, you're on your feet the whole day. It's a, it's a physical kind of thing. It's monotonous at times. And, and it is, you're getting yelled at a lot of times. So of course, like any job, there's some drawbacks, but uh, it's something that I, I would kind of encourage folks, especially young people who want a different kind of experience. Um, I had to do like uh, four, four months or so of training and pass a couple tests and stuff like that, but they paid you a little bit during the training. And as long as you weren't, 
you know, desperate for money during that time period and had a little bit extra to kind of get through that time. Uh, and it's, again, they're, they're making you uh, train like three hours a day. It's not crazy. So, uh, and it worked out good. And, and it was kind of held me over at a period of my life where I was trying to figure out what I was doing between half, uh, you know, freelance, part-time, full-time kind of stuff. And I would recommend it if anyone's thinking about it. Do you have like a specific season you remember from both the cities of teams that you followed that was like, damn, like this was like my favorite season to follow. Like I damn near became like a huge fan of this team, just like following them and writing for them. Yeah, well, as a Detroit sports fan, those are all like at least a decade, <laughs> a long time ago. It's been a while. It's been a while. But I, I do remember as a fan, like when I was in college, like 2005, 2004, that was when the Red Wings were going to the playoffs and going deep into the playoffs every year. The Pistons won the championship in 04. They went to five straight Eastern Conference finals. I mean, it was like they, they called it here. It's People in Michigan would laugh, but it's called April in the D. And they had like a Fox Sports Detroit had like a, a band that played a song. And it was that song that would get in your head every spring. And it was, of course, in Michigan, you know, that time of year is great because it's the end of winter and the weather's good and the girls are dressing less and all that kind of stuff. So it's just like it's the best it's the best time of year. The Tigers are having opening day. The Wings are in the West, you know, East back then, the, the Western Conference Finals. Um, you know, or the Stanley Cup finals, the Pistons are always in the final four. Um, and again, final four is right around that time too of early April. So it's just the best, those were the best memories I had. Uh, and of course you're in college, so everything's great too. Um, and so, but, but as far as like, uh, uh, a writer, I enjoyed I, when I was in Southwest Missouri, I was kind of the, in charge of our high school sports coverage down there. And that's like a kind of a mini Indiana that they really care about high school basketball. So I love that. And then, uh, we actually had the number one recruit in the nation uh, for football, uh, Doriel Green Beckham, who played for Springfield yeah, yeah, Hillcrest. Yeah. yeah, back in the day. I'm, as a Birds fan, you know, yeah, you know, DGB yeah. a little bit. So, um, but yeah, his uh, obviously ultimately a, a disappointing career for him, um, all things considered, but, you know, followed his whole high school career. He was like a, a national high school athlete of the year as a sophomore in high school. Um, and then just every school, you know, Nick Saban's, fly into Springfield, Missouri to try to get him. Every co coach in the country ends up going to Missouri and, uh, and again, you know, disappointing career, but, um, but really fascinating to watch his whole really high school career from basically the inside and, uh, and how that whole process went. So you graduated with in, uh, in journalism and we are mainly talking to guys who have graduated in a, you know, a business degree or engineering degree, something completely different from what they're actually doing now. So, and we usually ask those questions like, well, how did you make that change? And how did you make that, that, that switch? So to kind of go off of a question like that, did you always know that you wanted to, to write in sports? You wanted to do journalism? What was kind of like growing up as a kid, you know, kind of finding your way and deciding what you really wanted to do with your life? Yeah, I was a sports nerd from the very beginning. So it's just like what I wanted to do listen to Ernie Harwell on the radio, read Mitch album in the newspaper. So those were my two guys. And I said, I want to be a sports broadcaster or a sports writer, uh, fourth, fifth grade, just kind of had that locked down. My dad, you know, is, is the most typical like Southeast Michigan guy. He was a small business auto part wholesaler owner, grinded his ass off like every day, just like really, you know, Saturday, Sunday, you know, all that stuff and, and taught me the, the work ethic, the, the cliche, you know, Detroit work ethic that we have up here. But, um, and so I, I observed that and I was like, I respect that. I love that. But also like, I don't want to do that. Right. I want to do, right. I want to go to work every day and go to games and cover games. And, and, um, 
I also like would work in the warehouse as a kid, you know, as a high school kid and, and just be listening to sports radio. And I was like, that was kind of the best part of my day was listening to, to Jim Rome and Stoney and Wojo here in Detroit. And, and so like, I was like, well, I want to be part of that kind of thing so that I'm kind of the best part of people's days, whether they're going to read my column or listen to my podcast, well, I guess back then radio show. Um, and so, yeah, I've, I've kind of, in, a, in some ways based my career around some of that, the sports gambling part, if you're doing it right, it's a, it's a, a diversion, a nice kind of fun part of your life. That's an extra to your, your sports fan experience. And, and I feel like I'm part of that now. Um, you know, if you want to make a business out of it or a side business and you're really invested in it, that's a possibility as well. But yeah, most of our, most gamblers, hopefully are just people who are, have some disposable income and want to have some fun with it. So yeah, I, I kind of wanted to be part of that, the fun part of life as opposed to the the boring part of life or the the tough part of life. So that's that's kind of how I got into it. Always kind of had that as my my goal and focus. And you mentioned going from business to journalism and, and vice versa. Like I would encourage if you're like me and you're a young person who um, is into journalism and wants to do this stuff, learn more of the business part of it, learn more of the entrepreneurial part of it, because you're gonna need those skills if you want to start up your own thing or you want to understand where businesses are going or where you can fill a niche in to certain existing businesses as well. And then, you know, if you're on the business side of it, uh, the, the, you know, the, whatever marketing kind of uh, track as far as a student or a young, a young professional, you know, learn the basics of journalism too. So it's like, go to both sides of it, learn like what reporters do, learn what TV folks do and what those processes are like and the, and the amount of, uh, prep work that goes into a radio show and a podcast, the amount of uh, research that goes into a, a newspaper or, or, or an internet article to make sure that things are right. You know, we're all, we all make mistakes at times, but make sure you have a process that enables you to be right 99 times out of 100 and, uh, and, and just follow those, those paths that maybe aren't the thing that you know or the things that aren't as most comfortable to you from your training or your upbringing. Is there anything you go back and change or do do different like on your path? Like it seems like you kind of had like a, a kind of crazy path. I know, like, but I like that. Is too. there anything you would change or maybe like a different city or something or anything you would do differently? Because I don't know. It sounds like I like how like from the beginning you always knew. I mean, we don't mm -hmm. like I said from yeah, from the other facts. you know the other point. We don't really talk to people who like always knew what they wanted to do. So yeah. I just had to point that out as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as, what I would do differently, I mean, I never, I've never lived out West. I guess I would maybe like to do that at some point. Maybe maybe it still <laughs> might happen in the future. But like, uh, as far as like my, you know, uh, just the things I've been exposed to, like I lived in the Bible Belt, you know, in Springfield, Missouri. I grew up here in the suburbs of Detroit, now live right downtown. I lived in the Virgin Islands and the Caribbean, which was a totally different experience. Lived in several you know different neighborhoods inside the city of chicago of of varying you know types of neighborhoods i guess and so like i i feel like i've been well-rounded kind of stuff um you know so um yeah i i don't have really very many regrets at all i mean you know should you have left a certain place a little bit earlier maybe even stayed at a certain place a little longer yeah during a michigan winter do i miss the virgin islands yeah for for sure but um for the most part yeah i mean i've i'm kind of someone who likes change every three, four years and kind of being stimulated in different kind of ways. So to me, it's, it's been great. And, um, and I'm, I'm real happy where I'm, where I'm at as far as a landing spot right now too. What's the biggest thing you've learned throughout your career in writing? You know, was it maybe some, maybe a mentor that you had or just the, your experiences at, at working at multiple different companies along the way? What's kind of the biggest thing you've learned? 
I think it's just the the versatility. Like if you want, if you're really focused on this one part of this media life and this media job, like I think that if you're a broadcaster, you need to learn how to write. If you're a writer, you need to learn how to be interviewed and do interviews, um, you know, making videos, editing your own videos. Um, just really go out and like learn the thing that you don't know, know what you're good at, know what you're not good at. And really it's so much, it's so easy to just fall into the things that you're good at. Um, and, and, and really, and also learn how to deal with, with, with people, right? I mean, if it's a, a freelance client that you're working with, if it's someone who works for you as if you're a manager, um, just those kind of things. So to me, it's like, try to be exposed to as many things as possible. Um, and, and that's, that's kind of what I learned because, you know, when you're 18 years old, you're probably aware of a couple of things that you even do well at that young age. But even even then, like you need to learn how to develop those kind of skills too. But find out those things you aren't good at and expose yourself to them. You know, I'm getting up there. I'm almost 40 now. So like I got to learn the new technologies and things that make me roll my eyes at first. Like it's like, well, that's kind of where stuff is going. So you need to dive in on those kind of things that, that you're not comfortable with a little bit more. So I'd say that those were the, the kind of the biggest things. Was the adjustment pretty easy for you from like how things were done back in the day till now? Like you kind of talked about it right there, but was it, was it an easy adjustment for you or was it, was there a lot of friction at first? Cause you said like there were some things you roll your eyes at, like, how was that? Yeah, it's tough. It was tough. I mean, I worked for legacy newspapers in Gannett, which is like still is one of the biggest newspaper companies in the country. And it's like, and I was back then we were putting out the sports section every day, but I was like, you know, we need to do a podcast. We need to set up some blogs. You know, we need to kind of get more onto online. And, and, and all my bosses always be like, yeah, that sounds great. And then it's like, okay, so what are we not going to do so that I have some time to do these things? And that was the, that was the, the awkward question, right? We're not going to give you any time to do these things. You just kind of got to do them. So that was, that was a difficult thing for me to kind of overcome is, is that. So like, um, so if it's, I mean, sometimes you, and again, I don't, I'm not an advocate of, of working for free or, or those kind of things, but um, there has to be kind of a balance. I mean, you do have to put in maybe some more extra hours on certain projects or things that you, um, you know, again, put in 50 hours, even if you're only getting paid for 40 or work that uh, low paying side job or something like that, that that maybe isn't fulfilling uh, on the financial side of it, but could lead to things or this thing could grow as time goes on. Um, I'm, I'm all for those kind of investments in yourself. As long as you, there's a path that you see or a road that you see for, for something that, that could become bigger or uh, could lead to something else. Um, just making, and, and again, maybe it's not the most calculated risk, but, but put some time into something, put years into something um, and see how it goes too. So just, just, yeah, all those, all those, it's a little cliche, but uh, I think some of those things that you hear are, are true. And I'm, I'd, I'd like to think that I'm kind of living testament to a lot of that stuff too. Yeah. But, and at the same time, you know, it also makes sense, right? Like, you know, even for us trying to come up in this industry as well, like we have to make those decisions on, you know, working those extra hours. I know a lot of our beginning interviews from over, you know, a year and a half ago, it was, it's a slow process and you kind of just got to like trust it as you go. And that's why it kind of leads me to the next point here is when anyone, I mean, obviously like yourself, but when anyone's working in sports, you're kind of juggling more than just one company, right? You're working at, if you're freelancing for one company, you're freelancing for another company, but then you're also, you know, for example, with you, you know, being a content manager as well. So kind of talk to us like through what it's like 
working and juggling so many different companies, working with so many different people versus kind of like that everyday businessman that's always working with, you know, I'm going to my sales job and I'm working with just my sales manager, my boss for that day? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. I think, um, first of all, the, the main starting those relationships is all about the networking, right? So like when, when I was in college, I had a rule where it was like, Every, when I was a junior and senior, like every weekday, every working day, quote unquote, I would make sure that I sent one email to someone who mattered out there in the outside world is what I called it. So that was kind of the start of networking. When you were covering stuff as even as a college kid, make sure you introduce yourself to the the Detroit Free Press writer that's here in town at Central covering stuff. The uh, I was Central Michigan University. So when when that kind of stuff comes up, always start that. But to more to your question, um, when I was freelancing, it would obviously probably the most important consideration uh, that I kind of took into account as far as like what assignments I would accept and, and what kind of what where my time went to was who paid me the most right and who was the steady income for me so with that was the Detroit News I worked for them as much as I could could have wanted and they paid well uh, and they were kind of what paid my bills now if you're lucky enough to maybe not have that as as big of a consideration you probably want to be thinking about what are the things that I'm doing that could could lead to something else? And what are the things that I'm doing that could uh, be something that I'm proud of, right? Or something that like makes me artistically fulfilled. One of the things I did when I was a, a quote unquote full-time freelancer was I made a documentary with a friend of mine and we put a lot of time and, and, and spent a lot of our own money to make it just a 20 minute documentary about uh, Amani Bates, who is uh, still at the at, just transferred to Eastern Michigan from the University of Memphis. And he's from Ypsilanti, Michigan here in uh, Southeast Michigan. And we, we got a great interview with him and his dad and followed him in his freshman year of high school as the number one recruit in the country for his class at that time um, and won the state championship. And we're right on the floor with great uh, camera footage of them winning the title. And we did a, a 20 minute documentary about him that, you know, it's, uh, I didn't, again, it was a money loser for me. We, we put a licensed music on there. So we didn't, we weren't able to sell it to anyone and really didn't want to because we wanted to maintain that creative control that we had. And to me, that's like something that I'm really proud of and something that um, will always be there and something that's out there in the world. I mean, if, you know, when you look back at legacies in your career, I mean, the day-to-day -day stuff as we're grinding out stories. And again, I'm proud of my day-to-day -day career too, but it's like, what am I doing that can kind of be left out there in the world? So, you know, I mean, not to get too deep on you guys, but that's something to think about as far as like your day to day, like, what are you leaving behind? Um, not only just like, is it a positive influence on society, but what kind of work are you leaving behind for people to kind of notice and see as, uh, as, as you look back on, on your career too. And that also goes back to your, your previous point too, about doing those things that, you know, like that money loser, it might be a money loser or, you know, you might not be getting the, the, the most out of it from whoever you're working for, but it's still something that's great to put on that portfolio throughout your entire career. Um, and it just shows the experiences. Like, I really like talking and learning about you because you're actually in it. Like, we've never really talked. We've talked to a couple of people that are in, like, the gambling space, but somebody that, like, I graduated in broadcasting. So this is like a, you know, a walk in the park for me. I get to learn a lot about, like, the experiences that, you, that you've gotten to go through. So another question here is, like, on your resume, you do have a lot of, you know, a boatload of writing on there um, and your experiences in writing, but you also have a couple, you know, on-air experiences, podcasting, radio show host. Are we going to see that from you um, doing more on-air roles in the future, or is this kind of we're going to stick to writing along the rest of the way? Um, so 
I used to host the Locked On Pistons podcast, and it's part of the national network that David Locke, the Utah Jazz radio broadcaster, started. Those and those guys that are still in the Locked On network do a great job. Um, and it was just like a grind, right? It was like you put out a 20, 25 minute show almost every single weekday, even during the off season. So it was tough. And I was, I have this full-time job now and I was doing that on the side still for another year during the pandemic. It was just kind of tough to maintain, but I have so many fond memories from doing that. I still am in touch with a lot of the listeners from back in the day too. Um, they're always asking me for Pistons takes and things like that. And <laughs> to me, it's like, I mean, I, I watch most every game as a fan and everything, but I don't watch it the same kind of way. Like I don't, need to come up with takes i'm kind of just like watching this restoration that they're calling it this rebuild from like a fan's perspective and trying to enjoy it as much as possible but like i do miss that and like every once in a while someone will reach out and be like i miss you on the show or or you get a reddit thread going where people are being complimentary of the work you used to do so um whether it's in the gambling space whether it's in the detroit sports space i mean i do miss it um so maybe, I mean, if there's a chance to maybe do like a once a week kind of thing, uh, at the, the tail end of my time with Lockdown Pistons, my brother helped out. He's got a broadcasting background as well. We had a lot of fun doing it. So maybe between me and uh, brother Brian is his on-air name, uh, we might come up with something. But, uh, you know, we're waiting for that Detroit team to be worth talking about every day too, yeah, right? Or, or so, yeah, I mean, maybe maybe it's like a Detroit sports show or maybe it's, Maybe it's like, you know, my company has already the LSR podcast where those guys do a great job covering the industry. Uh, so that's kind of a, a niche that's already filled by my company. But maybe 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 there is something in the gambling space, uh, but there's a lot of gambling podcasts out there right now, too. So so you got to kind of find your your road. But, yeah, um, if anyone's out there and wants uh, wants me to, to, to listen to to certain things that are out there, wants to partner on something. I'm willing to listen, but yeah, it's uh, it's a balancing act because my life's pretty busy with these seven states and and my team that that covers all these these states across the country. But yeah, I would not be surprised if I if I dive back into something down the road. And obviously, it wouldn't be more you know be more on the podcasting side. Maybe it'd be radio. I mean, you already had previously worked in radio, so maybe it would be radio. Um, yeah, but that is pretty cool though because I mean, writers, you think you know, and this is no disrespect, but writers you think are, are more on the script for sitting behind a computer and, and typing that up versus being, you know, very good on camera or behind a microphone. But now we can easily, like, we can easily see it why you were, you had those on-air experiences, right? Um, so, yeah, yeah. I think it's important to have both those lanes filled. And yeah, yeah, you said that. I mean, you said, like, if you're, if you are a writer, make sure you can get interviewed or, or, or speak behind a microphone and then vice versa. So I think that's pretty cool as well, too. And this brings me back to like the point that I had said a little bit earlier. Um, you know, part of working in sports is is kind of adapting to moving to different jobs. And this is like back to the point of working at multiple different places. And I think the stigma around that is it's tough to stay in one place and and for like an exper an extended period of time. Um, and it's kind of like looking at our generation where it's like we can't hold a job for you know longer than two years. So is it kind of in 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 your opinion in your experiences is it tough to stay in one specific place or do you have to move around to different places because you're going to get those different experiences and you're going to meet those different connections do you almost have to move around or you know 
Are you going to be like, you know, these sports casters like a Scott Van Pelt where you're there for 20 plus years and Mel Kuyper that's been there since, you know, way too long. So is it, is it, is it that you have to move around when you're first getting into this industry? I think that when I came into the, you know, the, the, the media full-time world, which is like 2006, you know, a while ago now, um, it's a little bit different than it is now. I think that not that back then I needed to move around, but first of all, personally, I wanted to move around. So it was something that uh, I was, it wasn't like a detriment to me, but um, I think that back then, because it, it was like, you're either going to be on the radio or doing newspapers. I mean, there were a little bit of podcasts, but nothing was really monetizing itself to a degree that it was, you know, sustainable to, to be your, your, your main source of income or something like that. So I would say that back then it was like, okay, you know, my friends that work in TV, you move to that like really small network or that really small market, then you get the medium sized market and hopefully you're at like a, a large market for your third job or something like that. Same thing for newspapers, right? Now, if you go to Columbia Journalism School and get your master's, maybe you can go to the Washington Post right away. But I would say that's more the exception than the rule where you go to that small paper uh, medium-sized paper, big paper. But again, that's all like 15 years ago talk. Now, I think like if if you grow up in, let's say Detroit, uh, you want to cover these teams, you want to talk about these teams. Now, will you, will you graduate college and get a job at the Detroit Free Press right away? It's possible, but probably not. Like there's not as many traditional media jobs out there unless you're an exceptional talent and, and put in the work as, as a young person. But I would suggest that you start your own kind of niche and start your own thing, right? Um, maybe you're part-time for something, freelance for something, and then you got your own podcast. You got your own uh, small website or something like that that you do, that you partner with some people that you knew from college, those kind of things. Um, I do think that you can do that small job, medium job, big job in within the same market because there's different types of outlets and different types of, uh, of companies out there that exist, or you could maybe start your own. And again, all the more reason why to go back to uh, business classes and talk to people who started their own businesses that might not have anything to do with media and just learn how that process goes uh, and just 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 soak up things from entrepreneurs out there. Um, take advantage of, of small business benefits that might be out there from your state or your city. Um, you know, that office space, that we work situation, that are collaborative types of environments that might help you out. Just get involved in the, the arts scene in your local community just because people like that might be able to give advice or collaborations that might be able to be helpful. Um, just get involved with the community in, in positive ways. Obviously, that's just like kind of a given uh, in general, not just for your career. But um, I would say, I think nowadays, it's probably easier to stay in one place uh, your entire career if you want to in terms of like an environment in a geographical location. Now, as far as staying in a job for many years, that's a little bit difficult because you, you know, if you do things for three, four years, it starts to feel repetitive. Hopefully you're doing a good enough job of reinventing yourself and your viewpoints as much as possible. Um, and hopefully the content, whatever you're following stays fresh enough for you to stay stimulated. And, um, but yeah, I mean, there's ways to make that happen too. I mean, people that have been, you know, Mike Stone, who's from Philadelphia, who um, has been on the radio here in Detroit forever in sports radio, like 30 years, maybe even more. Um, like he reinvents himself in ways. He's a friend of mine and he like just kind of makes himself relevant to the times and is able to, to adapt. And I think that 
that's a model of, of someone who's been in the same job forever to varying different stations and stuff. But um, just just being able to adapt, I think it's possible to do that. But uh, but yeah, I mean, but the opportunities to move around are also there if that's what you want to do, too. Throughout your experiences, did you all like was there any doubts in this industry? And obviously, this goes back to the point from the very beginning of, you know, there is not a lot of opportunities, not a lot of money involved. And, you know, it's a, it's an extremely long road. So was there at one point any doubts of like, you know, maybe I should go back and get that business degree and, and, and do something in, in finance or sales or something like that? I think there probably should have been, and there was, <laughs> there was to a degree, but like, I, I didn't really, I didn't, I think one thing that was kind of nice about my, my path is I didn't sit there and think about what's, what's 10 years from now that often. It was more like what's now and what's two, three years from now. So I could kind of always see something that and, and like, again, I, I often joke and it's not a funny joke, but like my newspaper career, I, I was almost like you're almost just like waiting to get laid off. Right. Because you have so many coworkers that also got laid off, sadly, and you see that happening to people. Um, but I mean, as, if you're a young person, uh, I would I would recommend to try to keep that that overhead low, whatever that means. Right. Kind of live be within your means if you're deciding on buying a house or renting an apartment or something like that. Maybe go for that one that's a little bit more affordable, depending on your budget, things like that. Uh, maybe if you're with a partner or something like that, you can uh, marry rich or something like that. So that, that might be yeah. a, good, a good way to go about it, too. Um, so those are like things to consider as, you, as you're thinking about that. But no, I mean, like, um, did I did I in my brain know that in 2012 that I probably wasn't going to work in newspapers for the rest of my life? Yeah, I probably knew that, but it was it, it seemed like something far enough down the road that I didn't have to like worry about it or panic about it or try to get out as soon as possible. For me, it was more like, how can I make myself uh, valuable enough to my current employer to keep my job? And then how could I get to that next job, whatever it is, um, less than being worried about what my life is going to look like uh, 10 years from that point? Do you have like a favorite athlete you've covered in any of these cities? Like, cause you did like high school, multiple cities. Like, do you have like a favorite athlete that was just like, like just different for you? Man, that's, that's a good question. Um, unfortunately, like when I covered most of the pro sports, uh, they stuck me with the white Sox when they were struggling in Chicago, uh, and all the Detroit teams are just like pretty, you know, pretty rough for these last six, seven years that I've been kind of back. Well, long, not as long as that, but, um, so who are some favorite athletes that I covered? I mean, kind of going back to the like fan slash writer days. Like I always was a big Mr. Big Shot Chauncey Billups fan with the Pistons. I was able to interview him a couple times over the years. So that that was pretty nice and rewarding. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, I think you'll you'll if, if you talk to someone like me who's covered a lot of high schools, a lot of college, a lot of pros and, and you know, international sports as well. Uh, I think that you'll find that. Um, you probably enjoy covering the people you really get to know more. Um, now, like you don't really connect with a high school kid when you're an adult on the beat as much, but like if you're a young journalist and maybe you're covering like a college beat or like a lot of them were like, to me, when I lived in the Virgin islands, there were guys who were boxers, there were professional boxers who 
were maybe on undercards of pay-per-view cards throughout the country. So those guys were really good to know because they, they weren't covered so much where they, they were too big of a deal to give you 15 minutes after they were done training. Um, and they appreciated that you wrote a front page story for them on the Virgin Islands Daily News and that kind of thing. Same thing for um, some of the sailors around the around the world that were like big time sailors. So it's like they were competing in the biggest sailing events in the world, but yet it's sailing. So it's not like a not like you're covering Michael Jordan and Miguel Cabrera, like big big time athletes that didn't have time for you. So I, I really enjoyed those. Like following, like uh, someone that stands out is, is is a guy named Eddie Levette, who was uh, a Virgin Islander. Because uh, because his parents were both from the VI, so he competed uh, for the University of Florida as a hurdler, and then um, because of his VI lineage, competed internationally for the U.S. Virgin Islands, and has made it to the Olympics uh, three times now. Um, following his career as a as a NCAA champion, getting to know him over the phone a little bit, meeting him at the Pan Am Games in Toronto, spending some time with him there, and then following his journey all the way to Rio de Janeiro and the the ups and downs of his life. He's got some interesting, um, really uh, a lot of uh, some sad stories that have happened throughout his life, and getting to know him and having him appreciate the relationship that we have, the coverage that I did of him. That was probably one of the more fulfilling athlete relationships that I had. So. Of course, I still root for him to, to succeed. He's still competing um, and, and doing all that stuff. So, uh, and, and, and again, some of the baseball players from the Virgin Islands that spent some time in the minor leagues, and, and some of them are in the in Major League Baseball now too. So following those guys, getting to know those guys when they're home for the winter and, and connecting with the young people of St. Thomas was, was kind of special for me too. And Jeff, definitely because like they're lower tier guys too. So, yeah. you know, you goes back to your point where you were saying, them being these guys being on the front page is pretty cool for them but you're also getting that you know that acknowledgement from from getting an article out like that um mm -hmm. matt one of the last questions that we have for you here today is i know you've definitely answered this before uh throughout along this podcast but if you could give it give this into one specific answer what advice would you give to to young kids trying to work in sports Yeah. I mean, I, again, I, I hate to go back to something that kind of have, have mentioned before, but just like be, be varied in your skills, right? Just, just learn if you, if you're not comfortable in front of the camera, in front of the mic, put yourself in front of the camera, in front of the mic, because you will become comfortable. And if you're a reporter who loves being on deadline, but doesn't love those longer feature stories, then ask your editor for some longer feature stories. Um, especially when you're young, don't be afraid to fail and just go out and learn that stuff that you don't know, those things that you aren't good at. Um, because if you can put on your resume that you can do all sorts of things, and, and guess what? Like I've been offered jobs that um, they're looking for someone who can do it all, especially even not, not just smaller uh, organizations, but bigger organizations that uh, they want someone who can handle the social media accounts, that can write big stories, that can write small stories, that can host their own podcasts, that can appear in videos. Um, those are valuable skills for, for pretty much all uh, media entities these days. So that's what I would say. Yeah, we love that. Matt, we appreciate your time so much today. We appreciate the conversation, how valuable this was to us and, and many of you guys out there listening that are trying to work into sports. Um, we do really appreciate it. We wish you the best of luck, and, and we'll be in touch. We'll talk to you soon. Alex Manny, thanks, you guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. Take care, my man. Guys, this was just an unreal interview. Um, you know, one of those things where we get to learn more about guys that actually work in this industry um, and how this can, 
can kind of benefit you guys along your journeys as well. So if you guys did like this this episode and you are watching on YouTube, drop a like down below. Comment down below what you kind of learned, what were kind of the fun things that you were that you were able to take away from this podcast. And do not forget to hit that subscribe button as well. If you are watching on if you are listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, give us those ratings. It's cool for us to see the ratings. We love to see them um, and it benefits us greatly for for the listening platforms and the audio platforms. This is another fun one for us. We had the Bo one, we had the Chris one and now we had Matt Thank you guys for listening. You've been listening to the All Day Everyday Show with All Day AJ and Manny Ruffin. My name is Alex Jacobs, but you can call me All Day AJ. We appreciate you, Matt, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, buddy.